0: Well, if you have your Bibles with you, I would invite you to open them to Acts chapter 13. If you didn't bring one, there's one in the pew in front of you. I encourage you to use that. If not, you can follow along on the screen or any of your handheld devices. Um, we're going to jump in this morning to our text. Um, I didn't get through my entire sermon last uh, hour, uh, surprise maybe to nobody, <laughs> but uh, for the rest of us, we're going we're to get you home so you can get uh, onto the uh, Minnesota Vikings game. Which, by the way, if I catch you watching the game during my sermon today, (laughs) I'm just kidding, I'll do nothing other than say, don't be a distraction to your neighbor, okay? All right, so with that, um, I don't know how you transition to this, but this is totally not related to that. How about that? So Acts chapter 13, beginning in verse 1 through verse 12, this is God's word. Among the prophets and teachers of the church in Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, called the black man, Lucius from Cyrene, Manian, the childhood companion of King Herod Antipas, and Saul. One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them away on their journey. Verse 4, so Barnabas and Saul were sent out by the Holy Spirit. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then sailed for the island of Cyprus. There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. Afterward, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until finally they reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. He had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said, for he was trying to keep the governor from believing. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he looked the sorcerer in the eye. Then he said, "'You son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, an enemy of all that is good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord?' Watch now, for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you, and you will be struck blind. You will not see the sunlight for some time. And instantly mist and darkness came over the man's eyes, and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand and lead him. When the governor saw what had happened, he became a believer, for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, as we enter into a time of the teaching and preaching of your word, Holy Spirit, we invite you to open our minds, our hearts, and to teach us, to teach us the truth about our own Christian experience and how, God, you have called each one of us and you're sending us on mission each and every day to bring good news, to bring light to darkness, to encourage those around us and to help others come to know you. Father, we'll recognize this morning that the journey won't always be easy, but we trust that through the Spirit in us, you will give us the ability to persevere, to accomplish the work you've called us to, that, God, we can rely on your good for us and your glory for yourself. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. I don't know about you, but when I travel, sometimes it doesn't always go as expected. (laughs) In fact, I would say most of the time, it doesn't usually go as expected. A few months ago, when I went to the annual meeting in Kansas City, I uh, flew out of Minneapolis. So I drive down there and my flight was to leave, I don't know, like around three o'clock in the afternoon, something like that. And I got there in plenty of time, so I stopped by the store to pick up a few items that I needed, and lo and behold, I get a text message that said, your flight has been changed. It will now be leaving, I think at that time it said 9 o'clock in the evening. Well, that's kind of a bummer, because I didn't want to sit an extra six hours at the airport, so I thought, ah, I'm in the cities, I'm just going to run around and, I don't know, grab something to eat, do a few other things. Then I got a text that said, your flight will now be leaving at 5.30. I'm like, whoa. I should probably get going. Then I got a text that said, your flight will now be leaving at 7 p.m. Okay, so now I'm getting bounced around, right? With a little bit of anxiety, I decide, you know what, I'm just going to go to the airport and sit it out because that's how I'm going to be present when my flight actually leaves. So I get to the airport, I go to check in, I get my ticket, and the lady at the ticket counter goes, hey, so uh, wow, you're really pushing it. And I'm like, Oh, yeah? And she goes, you know, if you get through the the security line quickly, you might make your flight. I'm like, excuse me? She's like, oh, yeah, it's on time. (laughs) I'm like, oh, no way. So, I get to where I'm leaving the gate, and I sit there for another three hours. (laughs) The plane is oversold, so of course, they start selling tickets, right? Like, if you want a ticket on the next flight, we'll give you $200. I'm like, "Eh, it's not worth my time. We'll give you $300. I'm like, nope. We'll give you $400. Now I'm getting greedy and I'm thinking, yeah, okay. When they get to $500, it's like, what, a hundred bucks an hour? I'll do that. So it never got there because people took advantage of the $400 tickets. But I did get out on the flight and I got to Kansas City and The next flight out was at 9.30, and I knew a lot of the pastors who were on that flight, so it was really enticing to go. But I'm really glad I didn't because their flight didn't get going at 9.30. It got going a little bit later, and as they got going, they encountered a storm. Then they had to circle Kansas City and ended up in St. Louis because they ran out of fuel. Then they got into Kansas City, and by the time my roommate got to our room, it was 4 a.m., You ever find that your travel experience ends up being a little bit like this sometimes? That as you go about your journey in life, Murphy's Law becomes more of a reality? Y'all know what that is, right? Nothing is as easy as it looks. Everything takes longer than you think. And if anything can go wrong, it will. That's Murphy's Law. Now, that's traveling by myself. You should see what it's like when I travel with my wife and five kids. (laughs) Yeah, that's a challenge in itself. But you know, life is full of hardships, isn't it? It really is. Whoever you are, it doesn't matter whether you're rich or poor, educated, uneducated, doesn't matter if you're young or old, whatever classification you want to put on yourself One of the realities about life is, is that it doesn't matter who you are, you will experience and encounter hardships in this life. A lot of people want to suggest that, you know what, if you become a Christian, all the hardships of life will go away. I want to bust that bubble today by telling you this, no, they won't. In fact, many of life's hardships might truly just begin. A life of walking with Jesus, easy? Absolutely not. Rewarding? 100% certainly true. Difficult? Absolutely can be. But thank God that we have the Holy Spirit with us to guide us, empower us, encourage us, equip us for the life that God has in store for us. No matter your level or maturity of your Christian walk, or your ministry. None of us are exempt from the difficulties and trials that come with the Christian life. Oftentimes, friends will forsake you. Families can abandon you. Heartache can be present in much of your life. But how we view hardships Will make all the difference in the world in how we navigate the Christian life. So how do you view hardships in your life on your journey? Are hardships in your life an opportunity for you to play the woe is me card? And Nothing ever goes right for me. Ah. Or do you find hardships as an opportunity to see what God's going to do in showing up in the midst of the challenge and the tribulation and the difficulty, how he's going to show up and he's going to be good and faithful and true to your life and how he's going to be your great provider in times of difficulty. You know, last week we came to the end of chapter 12 and we were reminded that in Peter's imprisonment, God wants to give us a life of peace, that his grace is truly sufficient for us, and that God gives us a power in the Christian life that is undeniable, immeasurable, and unexplainable. We saw how the sovereignty of God, or God at work controlling all things and situations, became a reality which prepares us for the Christian journey. It was... Saul and Barnabas, who were with John Mark at the end of chapter 12, they they actually went off to Jerusalem to care for and to minister to the Christians there. And then they returned from Jerusalem back to Antioch in Syria. And that's actually where we pick up in the story today, beginning in Acts chapter 13. And what we're going to discover is that in Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas become the first commissioned missionaries to go on a missionary journey into the Gentile world to bring the good news about Jesus to people who didn't know Jesus. And along their journey, it's not an easy ride. It's not the easy train. They're met with many difficulties, many trials, many tribulations. But we get a glimpse in their first journey to an island called Cyprus, which happened to be Barnabas's home island, how God shows up and takes care of the difficulties and the challenges in their journey, that we'll try to bring some own personal life application to our lives and how maybe we can relate it to our own Christian experience. Chapter 13 of Acts is one of the greatest chapters in all of church history. It's the transition from the church reaching a region to the church reaching the world. And the really exciting thing about chapter 13 of Acts is that what began then continues today and includes you and me. We continue the missionary effort that began through the commissioning of Paul and Barnabas. But the key to their effective ministry wasn't the strategic planning of the church, wasn't the approval of the body of Christ. It was all about the Holy Spirit that called them, that equipped them, and that sent them into the world with the good news of Jesus Christ. Among them were prophets and teachers of diverse ethnicity and backgrounds. And all of these men were the, you could call them the pastors of the church. Listen to this. Among the prophets and teachers of the church in Antioch of Syria were Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Manian, and Saul. These five men, you would say, were the pastors of, the overseers of the church, of which Barnabas was likely the senior pastor. But this was the A-team. And as they were together, as God called them, as, as they were leading their church, they entered into a time of fasting and prayer and a time of worship and a time of being with one another and being with the Lord. And it was then that the Holy Spirit spoke One day as these men were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, appoint Barnabas and Saul for the special work to which I have called them. So after more fasting and prayer, the men laid their hands on them and sent them on their way. Now, how did the Holy Spirit speak? I don't know. It doesn't tell us, but it's very likely because there were prophets and teachers among them that God used one of the prophets to speak to the group that was present to say, God is telling us to set apart Barnabas and Saul for the ministry of the gospel. And I can imagine that church was like, whoa, no way. Like Barnabas, he started all this. And Saul, he was like the master teacher. He knew the Old Testament scripture so well. He was the great order. He was the attorney-minded defender of, of the scriptures why would we send them away? Because that's what the Holy Spirit said to do. And so that's what they did. This missionary team, they landed first in an island called Cyprus. It was there that they began to extend the hand of the family of God to the uttermost parts of the world. You know, as members of God's family, we have an incredible opportunity to participate in God's plan for saving people. And with such privilege comes great responsibility. Servants of God, people who are part of God's family, we should be diligent in regularly seeking the Holy Spirit to see how he is calling us and where he is sending us to bring the good news about Jesus. And when we do, when we hear God's call and we respond to God's call, we're fulfilling God's purpose for the church, and we're fulfilling God's purpose for our very lives. Now, yeah, true. Barnabas and Saul, along with their assistant, John Mark, were sent out to go to the island of Cyprus, and then into the greater Gentile world. That became their mission field. And a lot of times at this point in the message, what you're all hearing is, yeah, but I'm not being sent across the world, so maybe this doesn't relate to me. I'm going to call a timeout and reel you back in for just a moment and remind you that your mission field is right where you are. God might not be sending you to Cyprus, but God, every day, has appointed you to be His representative wherever you find yourself. So, I'm not talking about going somewhere else to represent Christ and to share His love with others. I'm talking about doing it right In our everyday lives. When we consider the people that we will encounter on a a regular basis as we become vulnerable enough with others in our lives and courageous enough with them to to talk to them about Jesus, to, to, to really live the blessed life. Remember, we pray for those people. We listen to them. We eat with them and we engage their life We serve them with love, and then eventually we get around to sharing our story for God's glory, but that blessed life doesn't start with me telling you about Jesus. It starts with me meeting you where you're at. This is the way we go about the Christian experience and being effective witnesses for Christ. The three things I want to highlight this morning is that some people we share the gospel with will be open to hearing the word of God. That's the first takeaway I think we can take. Verse four, so Barnabas and Saul sent out by the Holy Spirit. Remember, it was the Spirit who sent them, not the church. The church laid their hands on and commissioned them for the ministry and service of the gospel. And all that really means is we're here for you. We will support you. And as you go, we're going with you. But it was the Holy Spirit who called them and sent them. And it's the Holy Spirit who calls us and sends us too. They went down to the seaport of Seleucia and then they sailed for the island of Cyprus. And if, if I was just to stop here for a minute, what this really tells us is that they responded in obedience to God's call in their life. Will you? Will you? There in the town of Salamis, they went to the Jewish synagogues and they preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. And for whatever reason, Saul's way of bringing the gospel to a community always started in the synagogue. And maybe because he took serious that the gospel will go to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Maybe he also recognized that within the synagogue are people who know the Old Testament scriptures. And so he wanted to start with people who were familiar with the message of salvation through the Messiah. And it was there that he could help people recognize and realize that what they're waiting for has already come in the person of Jesus Christ. What we know is that as Saul preached the word of God, it changed people's lives. Verse 6, afterward, they traveled from town to town across the entire island until they finally reached Paphos, where they met a Jewish sorcerer, a false prophet named Bar-Jesus. And he had attached himself to the governor, Sergius Paulus, who was an intelligent man. The governor invited Barnabas and Saul to visit him, for he wanted to hear the word of God. We're introduced to two new people here, the governor And to a sorcerer, magician. Interesting enough, this governor was the highest ranking official in the Roman government that we know of in the New Testament that eventually came to faith in Jesus Christ. But here's this sorcerer. His name is Bar Jesus. (laughs) That's an odd name, right? You know what it means? It means son of Jesus or son of salvation. This governor being an intelligent man attached himself to this Jewish sorcerer who knew the Old Testament scriptures and oftentimes Romans believed that they had an in with God. And so he was relying on the information that the sorcerer was giving him to find favor with God. And then Barnabas and Saul begin to teach the Word of God, and the governor catches wind of this, and he says, I want to hear them. I want to hear what they have to say. I'm interested. Well, our Jesus wasn't interested in him hearing what he had to say. So you never know who you'll encounter in your day-to-day interactions with the path that God has laid out for you. You may encounter those who are open to the Word of God, and you may encounter those who are not open to the Word of God. But when you encounter those who are open to the Word of God, are you prepared and ready to share with them The good news that they want to hear. One of the things that I love to do is be encouraged when I visit people who are in the hospital. And though they're in a really difficult place, they have a tremendous sense of joy. I love to experience that. And this last week, there were two individuals, members of our church. One I visited in the hospital. He's on a cancer journey right now. He got placed in the hospital for a few days to take care of a few issues. He didn't know really why he got placed at that hospital that he's in in the region. But the one thing he said was, you know what? I guess maybe this is where God wanted me to be so that I could interact with the people that are serving me, so that I could encourage them and share with them how much Jesus has made a difference in my life. I think that's awesome. It's a great outlook on the journey of life that, creates hardship, that has hardships in it, right? Do you see your hardships on your journey as an opportunity to take advantage of the crossroads that God has given you with the people you intersect with? another individual who had a major operation and has a lot of recovery coming. Pastor Dave and a few other men went and visited him and it was great because while they were there for those couple hours, the encouragement and interaction with the staff was at a high level. This man's taken advantage of just not only sharing Jesus but being Jesus to those who are serving him. How cool is that? Romans 1.16 says, For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and then also to the Greek. Are you ready and are you available for the people in your life who you intersect with who want to hear the word of God? And do you see that God has appointed you and called you, and sent you out into the world to be that person. Maybe today is the first day you realize that's God's assignment for you. I hope so. Go get him. The second thing we discover here is that some people will be opposed to the Word of God. Not everybody we share God's Word with is going to be positively receptive to it, or even want to hear about it. And how many of you, I'm going to just ask, how many of you by a show of hands have encountered somebody who was not interested in the Word of God as you shared with them? Raise your hand. Okay. Well, all of you should have your hands up. And I'm going to tell you why. Because if you share God's Word with enough people, I promise you, you will encounter some who are not interested in hearing about God's Word. I mean that. I truly do. That's not to shame you. That's to encourage you. To help you realize that, don't be afraid of that. There are those who will want to hear it, but those who will adamantly oppose it. In verse 8, but Elimaeus, the sorcerer, as his name means in the Greek, same person, this is the Jewish sorcerer, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Barnabas and Saul said. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit and looked the sorcerer in the eye. And then he said, you son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud and enemy of all that is good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Watch now for the Lord has laid his hand of punishment upon you and you will be struck blind you will not see the sunlight for some time. And instantly the midst of darkness came over the man's eyes and he began groping around, begging for someone to take his hand. Whenever we share the gospel with people, whenever we love people, whenever we serve people, whenever we're Jesus to people, we should expect opposition. It's not an easy train, I promise. It's one that we should expect to be met with with Satan's opposition. He hates the fact that we're sharing truth with people in the world who need to know Jesus. Bar Jesus hated the fact that Barnabas and Saul brought the truth to the governor that actually would have dismissed our Jesus' story. Our Jesus is going to lose a friend, lose the governor. He doesn't want this. Let me remind you of Ephesians 6. It says, "...for we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world, and against evil spirits in the heavenly places." You know what, bar Jesus? His name means, as I said, son of Jesus or son of salvation. But what did Saul call him? You son of the devil. You hear the play on words? Your title isn't fitting to you. It's a lie, it is not the truth. And I'm going to speak the truth to you. You are not a son of salvation, you are the son of the devil get out of the way, truth has arrived. You know, there's a truth war going on in the world today. And the assault is on the authority of the very Word of God. As believers here at Alexandria Covenant, we hold the Word of God as authoritative It's the place we go to to find truth. It's the place upon which doctrine, conduct in our life of faith as Christians is not only discovered, but it's where we find the encouragement to live the Christian life. It's where God's standard for holy living is found. Saul and Barnabas knew this. You know, Saul now becomes Paul. Did you hear this? Saul, also known as Paul. Did you know that Paul got a new name not because of his encounter with Christ on the road to Damascus? A lot of people think after his transformation, he went from Saul to Paul. That's really not true at all. That kind of rhymed. What really is the truth is that Saul's Hebrew name was Saul, and Saul's Greek name is Paul. And the reason that Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, transitions now from Saul, who's also known as Paul, is because up until this point, Saul's emphasis of ministry was to the Hebrews. But now he's called and set apart to the Gentile world, the Greeks. And so there's a transition in his name from his Hebrew name, upon which was the focal point of his life and ministry, to now the Greek name, which is the focal point of his life and ministry now Paul. So Paul encounters this sorcerer and takes him head on, not on his own, by the way, but filled with the Holy Spirit. So, how can we have confidence that as Christians we can live a life like Paul? filled with the Holy Spirit. When we live a life of obedience to the Word of God, to the Spirit of God, to the will of God, we can have confidence that we can live a Spirit-filled life. It really is that simple, but that's not a simple life. You know that if you're trying to live it. You see, culture has crept in to too many churches, and is beginning to define within the Christian church the standard of holiness, which stands in direct opposition to what God's Word actually says about right living. Culture is becoming the main source of determining truth. And people's experience is becoming the determining factor of how people should live. And as Christians, we must stand in opposition to this and fight against it because it's not the truth. It's a lie. People in our day, and especially in churches who are succumbing to the cultural winds of change, are abandoning the truth of the Word of God for a lie from the pit of hell." Critical race theory, it's a worldview that has certain tenets to it that is oftentimes determining, determining within our culture today and within the churches today, how we view social justice, race, equity problem is it's not biblical one of the core tenets of critical race theory is that culture defines standard of living through people's experience you can discover the truth god's word is truth it's objective and we don't determine its reliability, validity, or message based on our experience or our feelings. We receive it for what it is, the very Word of God. There are things that we must reject in our culture today that is influencing the church away from God's Word. And critical race theory is one of those. We must view the Christian life and the opposition to the message of the gospel from a Christian and biblical perspective. Opposition is an opportunity to show people the power of the gospel. Don't assume that if you're in a conversation or relationship with somebody and and you encounter tension and and, and opposition because you're standing firm in the truth of God's word, that you're in the wrong place. Don't assume that. you're, You're likely in the very right place. I can tell you one of the hardest things in my life to do was to transition into the senior pastor role of this church during a pandemic upon which All things in the world seem to be tearing all people apart. Is it easy to stand up here and talk about these hard things? No. It's inevitable when I speak truth in love, it's not always received as that. Some of you are going to take what I'm saying today as a political statement, and it's not. It's truth over a lie. We're being bombarded in our culture today to justify in some way that abortion is okay and it's not. All life is valuable in the eyes of God and is not permissible outside of God granting it. If we believe that, then we recognize that abortion will always be wrong and is a sin. If you have had an abortion yourself, God's grace and his mercy is available to you. He loves you and he wants to forgive you and help you move forward in your life. You need to know that. But the cultural winds among us today are not the defining factor of holy living for the Christian life. God's word is. And we must stand firm and speak boldly and not be silent on these matters. But when we speak boldly, we must do it with gentleness and respect. We don't need to fight. We can stand firm and then trust the power of the word of God and the work of the spirit to do his job. Change lives. And that change comes from the inside out. Finally, some people will believe God's word and then they'll be saved. Listen to this. Verse 12, when the governor saw what had happened, what had happened to who? Alimaeus, he got blind, right? You know the irony of this? He said he was proclaiming the truth when he was telling a lie. He said he could see clearly, but now he sees the dark. And the reality is, he has seen the dark the whole time. He never actually did see the light. And now he is a recipient of the very message he's proclaiming one of darkness, one of lie. Yet, here we have, the governor saw what happened. He became a believer, for he was astonished at the teaching about the Lord. He didn't become a believer because of the miracle. Doesn't say that. He became a miracle because of the teaching of the word of God. He became a believer through the teaching of the word of God where the miracle itself authenticated, verified, made the teaching of the word trustworthy. So it wasn't the miracle that drew him. It was the teaching of the word of God. And then the miracle affirmed that God's word is true. And as a result of that, he received Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, and he got saved. And let me tell you the good news about how we share good news. Some will hear the word. Some will be opposed to the word. Some will receive the word and believe. But those who receive the word and believe, it isn't up to us. The results always belong to God. So free yourself of that burden. All God wants you to be is a faithful servant who is willing to go into this world and wherever He sends you and whatever you're doing, the people you interact with day in and day out, be willing to love them. Jesus and tell them about the good news that God has done. And in return, we have the promise that God's word will not return void. It will bring with it a harvest, a harvest of lives that are changed through the good news about Jesus and the impact that Jesus can have on people's lives. I still have like two pages of notes left. Let's go, right on. I'm going to get in trouble with kids ministry. So I'm going to wrap this up. I just want you to know that we have a high calling and a great responsibility. Let's be faithful to it. Be available for whatever God wants you to do and for wherever God wants you to go. To love people to Jesus and watch the word change people's lives. Amen. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for the calling for every Christian to be a missionary for you. We recognize, God, that our assignments are sometimes different. We're called to go somewhere else to proclaim Jesus. Yet all of us are called to tell people about Jesus just where we're at. We get that the Christian life isn't easy, but your Spirit's in us to encourage us and equip us and to help us. So in the midst of the challenges on the journey, don't help us to be discouraged, but help us to be encouraged and to see those difficulties, those challenges and those hardships as opportunities to watch you, God, do your work through your Spirit. Help us to be your faithful tools day in and day out as we bring a message of God's good word to the world. In Jesus' name, amen.